love is what we make of it. Our love is what we make of it. Our love is what we make of it. Our love is what we make of it. Sex for smart people. That means you. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to Sex for Smart People. I'm Stephanie, and my preferred pronouns are she or they. I'm Dave, and my preferred pronoun is he. And I'm Reed Mahalko, and my preferred pronoun is coffee. All right, coffee. Reed. <laughs> Reed. So it's actually it's actually he. My preferred okay. pronoun is he. Co- co- coffee. 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 So, Dave, as I was telling you, Kof yeah. He yeah. is an extraordinary individual, and we are so, so lucky to have him with us today. Joining us from across the country. From across the country. Reed is in Oakland currently, and we are in New York City. Um, and Reed is a sex educator extraordinaire, sex and relationships expert. I love that the tagline, Reed, on your website is, be the change you want to see in the bedroom. Hell yes. I love that. I know you've you. just, you've, you've had just like countless media appearances on everywhere and everywhere and i love the writing that you do in the workshops that you do and listeners you. if you don't know reed mahalko read read mahalko read about sex.com r-e-i-d about sex.com i have quoted him repeatedly and you have responded positively to that so go to and learn more yeah and for now read we start off the way we always start off which is what is your relationship to relationships uh, well, my relationships to relationships, I identify as a queer polyamorous slut, um, and I'm not out there recruiting people to be queer or polyamorous or slutty. Um, my basic stance on relationships in general is that I really do want people to figure out what works best for them and for them to date their species, so to speak. And that's really what I think is is evolved, is people giving themselves permission to have a choice and to find the self-expression in relationships and in love and in life that has them happiest and then go date people for whom your self-expression also makes them happy. And that's what I mean by date your species. Mm. I've loved reading about your date your species stuff. Would you be okay to talk a little more in depth about cat people and dog people and the way you frame that? Yeah, sure. So you want me to frame it, or were you going to frame it for yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, my God, you're going to frame it for me? I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, oh. Sorry to well, be unclear. I, yeah, I meant I mean, to invite you to. Basically, the whole dating your species situation or the, the idea, and for those of you who are listening who are already in relationships, who worry that you might not be dating your species, um, it's okay because sometimes lions and tigers can make a liger. You know, it's more, you know, it's not that you guys have to be an exact fit. It's that are you guys a complementary fit? So where that really starts to come from is like how much do you know about what actually works for you in relationships? And when I, you know, speak at colleges and, and talk to younger adults or even older adults who haven't had a lot of relationships, sometimes we don't know what those answers are. So understanding that relationships by their very nature are also part of an adventure of you figuring out and discovering what works for you. And then how well do you take that self-awareness and can actually apply it and communicate to other people what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And Mm. when I start coming at it from that perspective, then it really is like you starting to get clear about, you know, what are your win-wins in relationships? Meaning what are those things that when present actually make your relationships easier, have more of a flow, uh, more happy, less effort for you. Mm. And then, you know, once you start figuring out what your win-wins are, you should also start looking, taking a look at your bottom lines or your deal breakers, which are those things that when they're present, automatically put an expiration date on your relationship. It's not whether the relationship is going to end, it's when will it end. And we live in a culture where, you know, one of the ways that we show we care is by sticking it out longer. Mm -hmm. That has a lot to do with the metric of success in relationships being traditionally duration. The longer you are together, the more successful or the better the relationship must have been. Isn't that weird? It it is weird. I mean, I, I I can tell you why it's like that, but it's basically the wrong metric. We should, we should be using depth, not duration, 
to mm-hmm. take a look at what's successful in a relationship. And when you swap those out and it's about depth, which is really about honesty and transparency and being real with each other, then all of a sudden, you know, if you have to end a relationship, you know, five days later or, or five years later, um, or even 50 years later, it's, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with transitioning a relationship if you're being real with each other and you're understanding that you guys are growing in different directions or maybe you weren't a good fit to begin with. And, mm. you know, we have a lot of people who stick it out longer uh, past beyond the breaking point. I mm. mean, I, you know, just because a relationship is, is in a hard place doesn't mean you should end it. But at the same time, like there is a point to where people are staying together to try to prove how much they care for each other. And it's not healthy. Mm. And when you look at, you know, what your win-wins are, what your bottom lines or deal breakers are, and you can really start, you know, being clear about what those things are to people, it's easier to start stacking the deck in your favor and in both people's favors. Um, And then inside of those two dynamics, you can even get a little bit more specific and start looking at, you know, what are those things that are kind of like your three strikes and you're out. Um, things that aren't perfect, but as long as there's being progress made, it's not, there's no reason to end the relationship. Um, you know, so things like for me, you know, I don't date people who have a problem or are challenged highly with telling the truth. You know, so Mm -hmm. lying to me is, is pretty much a bottom line. That's a deal breaker, but Mm -hmm. there is a different kind of version of lying, which is like, I, I, I got scared. I freaked out. I didn't tell the truth. That, to me, as long as you get better at that, you get three strikes before we're out. However, if you are intentionally withholding the truth for your gain and and my disadvantage, that kind of lying, that's a bottom line. And I don't care how much I love you. If you do that to me, that's a bottom line for me. And the the relationship will will end then. Now, everyone has different bottom lines. You know, everyone has different bottom lines. Some people be like, yeah, that kind of lying, that's wiggle room. That's, that's a, you know, three strikes and you're out. It's okay as long as you get better at that. But for me, I, you know, I'm out of integrity if I allowed the relationship to continue because I would be resentful and hold on to that and it wouldn't be fair to both of us. And then so the last what, little... what does a win-win look like? Oh, wait. Yeah, oh, sorry. One sorry, one thing. more. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I mean, so, and the last piece is, is really, you know, I mentioned it, the wiggle room. It's, it's those things that like, it's not your preference, but it, it really doesn't, it doesn't bother you that much. And the example I use in my, my primary relationship with Allison, you know, is, you know, Alice, our bedroom is the bedroom floor basically is a place where we keep clothes that we just wore. Um, (laughs) It's not my preference to have clothes on the floor of my bedroom, but it doesn't really bother me. You know, so it's, it's a wiggle room area. Where wiggle room areas are really useful for people in relationships is for you to understand that when a wiggle room thing is really bothering you, it means something else is going on that you haven't identified in the relationship. It's kind of like the canary in the, in the coal mine. So for me, underlying, yeah, like basically when, when I'm pissed off at Allison because of the clothes on the floor, it's a signal, it's a dashboard light that something else is bothering me that I haven't identified because when everything's going great, the clothes on the floor don't really bother me. Mm. And so understanding what your wiggle rooms are for both people or however many people are in the relationship, really useful because those become your dashboard lights. Mm. And, and rather than blaming somebody for doing that wiggle room thing, you get to go inside and be introspective and be like, oh, something else must be bothering me. What's going on? And when you identify that and can talk about it, you save yourself a lot of headache. That was super thorough. Wise words all around. Thank you, Reed. Reed what You're is welcome. A, what, can you say more about what a win-win is? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really those things in in your life that really make your relationships flow more smoothly. So the example for me, and again, you know, everyone, you have to do your own homework to figure these things out. 
Um, but for me, a win-win is when I was figuring out that I was polyamorous. Um, I, you know, I was really excited. I was scared about being non-monogamous and really declaring that because I was afraid, you know, oh my God, who, who could, who would love me for, for not wanting to quote unquote settle down, you know, and, and the way that the culture looks at non-monogamy as you either haven't grown up or you can't, you have a commitment issue. Um, and none of that's true. Um, mm-hmm. I know monogamous people who have commitment issues. I know p- non-monogamous people who have commitment issues. Um, you can be somebody who is capable of committing um, no matter what your self-expression is in relationships. Uh, but for me, I was, you know, had a lot of fear that, that nobody would love me for being polyamorous. And then I met some people who were poly and then my relationships got a lot easier. <clears throat> because for me trying to date somebody who was monogamous, there was just inherently a lot of friction. And when I talk about relationships, I often use analogies to music. Um, you know, Yay. if you're if you're a jazz musician and somebody else is, you know, a speed, you know, metal, heavy metal person, um, you guys can both love music but drive each other crazy because the kind of music, how music comes through you um, isn't very compatible. And while there are exceptions to that rule, there's the jazz musician who just loves collaborating with somebody who's into speed metal. Generally speaking, you know, dating your species, um, when you find somebody, or if you're going to start a band, you know, pick another jazz musician. If you're a jazz musician, you're just going to have an easier time and make each other happier. So win-wins are those things that when they are present, make you happy and the other person happy, which really mm-hmm. takes a lot of effort, the, the extraneous effort and friction out of relationships. So mm-hmm. when I stopped dating monogamous people and started dating polyamorous people, I all of a sudden I didn't have to explain myself. I didn't have to justify non-monogamy because I was already dating somebody who was a non, you know, who, was, who already understood non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, who's already practicing non-monogamy. And so that mm-hmm. was a win-win for both of us. That would be and I could see that happening that. the other way, those who are really into monogamy finding a win-win yeah. that way too. But Reed, don't you think you'll grow out of it eventually? <laughs> <laughs> well, Sorry, I, I have to go I, throw myself yeah, out a window. Sorry. Yeah, but, but that's the thing is like, like for a jazz musician, it's like, it's like treating jazz as a phase. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, Mr. Coltrane, don't you think eventually you'll grow out of it? Like it, the when you look at it from a musical perspective, it doesn't really make sense to even mm-hmm. ask the question. You know, Bruce Springsteen, don't you think you'll eventually grow out of this rock and roll thing? Yeah. You know, and or Eric Clapton, like you know, or, or Joni Mitchell, or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Like. You know, mm-hmm. it's part of who they are. And I, I love when people talk about um, relationship orientation, kind of as similar to sexual orientation, like um, just somewhere on the, the spectrum or the web or the galaxy of who you're attracted to and somewhere on the spectrum or web or galaxy of what kind of relationship works for you. Yeah. And so, so how did you, you get- know, I don't think it's a phase I'm going to grow out of. I might, but <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't date somebody or somebody shouldn't be dating me hoping that I'll grow out of it. Totally. Yeah. And the conception of growing out of has to do with so much that's messed up about what's considered capital N normative. Yeah. I was being super snarky. That's the, don't you think you'll grow out of it is still something that as a practicing poly person that I hear said to me from, from monogamous people that this is a phase that I'll grow out of. And it, um, it's super condescending <laughs> <laughs> and don't, don't ask people that please. Um, Reed, how did you get to the point where you wanted to make this the thing you do? Um, my mom and dad were, they loved each other very much. My brothers and I would always catch them making out in the kitchen or cuddling on the couch. Um, they were super, super in love. They loved us. You know, we had, they had three boys, so the four boys running around. Um, however, they didn't have the communication and emotional savvy to work through their upsets in their marriage and to negotiate their wants, needs, and desires. And so my brothers and I got to see what happens to two people who love each other very much, who don't have the tools to, to navigate, um, 
relationships. And so my mom became an alcoholic to try to cope with all the upset. My dad, you know, thought that money could solve things. So he became a workaholic and just tried to bring home more money. And, you know, their relationship just got weirder and weirder um, until, you know, they basically, my dad lost the family business. They lost the family house. They had to live in their van for a couple of years. I mean, it was just weird. And so I kind of vowed to not have to go through what they went through and and struck out on this this journey, which was kind of unconscious at first, like a lot of things are for, for human beings, you know, to, to try to learn everything that they were missing. And eventually mm-hmm. that, that journey became more conscious. And then eventually, you know, the advice that I was, things I was learning and sharing with people was helping people so much that, that my friends and some people in in the acting world because I used to be an actor really took me aside and were encouraging me to go pro with my advice and they're like you know the way that you think about things and the things that you share about relationships and sexuality are really really helpful and we we think you should should charge money for your advice like you're that good <laughs> and and then in 2004 I I you know had the courage to launch a workshop that was very important to me called Cuddle Party, which is about non-sexual touch and affection and how to navigate that and negotiate that. And that you know, contained a lot of the communication skill sets that my mom and dad didn't have. Um, and that workshop uh, became a huge news story in 2004 because New Yorkers were paying money to cuddle. I was living in New York at the mm-hmm. time. And because I had been an actor and, and understood media and how to be in front of cameras, I was able to harness the the media attention with myself and Marsha Baczynski, who, who helped me run Cuddle Party back then. Um, and that effectively launched my career. And so now mm-hmm. 10 years later, I have the blessing of, you know, having had over 50,000 people attend my workshops and lectures. And, and I, I'm, I do this now for a living. And it's really exciting for me because basically I'm helping people not have to go through what my mom and dad went through. And that's really, I'm really passionate and inspired about saving people that grief that I watched, you know, two people who love each other have to go through. Wow. Yeah, Reed, that's so beautiful. And we um, pretty soon need to move on to to listener questions, but I would love to uh, ask uh, one more question, a rather set of questions, which is what are you most fired up about? that's coming up or that you're currently invested in? And also how can people learn more about the work that you do? Sure. Well, the, the, the big website to go to is readaboutsex.com, R-E-I-D about sex.com. And that kind of is kind of like the, the place that catches all of my other crazy projects and ideas. Um, for people that are super interested in just getting better at relationships and the communication tools and stuff that I was talking about, like my mom and dad needed, they can go to relationship10x.com for some free free videos on relationship geekery. Um, and those free videos eventually invite people if they want to do a six-week course um, about getting better and, and kind of transforming your relationships tenfold. That's its, whole, that's its own little project and brand. And then the other thing I'm super excited about is coming up this summer – I'm, I'm teaching a business class for sex educators and workshop leaders on, on how to be better at making a living as a sex educator because that's, it was a whole other thing I had to go through, which was realizing that, that all of my sex education heroes were, were struggling for the most part, yeah. you know, and, and, and trying to make a buck. Um, and so I was lucky enough to And providing take- something of serious value. Yeah, and, and, and I was lucky enough to take the geekery that I had used to kind of try to figure out what my mom and dad were missing. You know, I turned that onto the industry of sex education to try to figure out, like, what was I missing as a business person and what was my industry and my peers missing um, that would help us make more of a living um, so that we could get our message out there to, to more people and not be so stressed and freaked out about money because that's one of the leading causes for, for workshop leaders for burnout is, you know, we're so stressed about Mm. paying the bills. And and it's also not just in sex education, it's in art and all these other places. I wish I could Um, say I knew nothing about that. I know nothing about this. (laughs) So, so that's another thing that's really, 
uh, inspiring for me because I have the privilege now and, and have been making a, a good living as a sex educator for the last six years. Um, and so uh, we're calling that project Sex Geek Summer Camp. Um, and that's happening this summer and that's going to be an annual event. So like those are the, the big things, you know, I, I, I do a lot of help for people in general who want to learn how to be better at sex and relationships. And now I'm, I'm getting to give back to my, my peer community <clears throat> in helping other sex educators figure out how to make a living. That's huge. Reed. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Today. You're welcome. And now on to your questions. Yeah. Uh, question number one uh, comes in. From the internet. As a single heterosexual man, I'm having difficulty communicating my romantic and sexual interest in women while still communicating that I respect them as whole people who are more than just their sexuality. Or rather, I'm good at the latter and not the former. What are some good ways to communicate both without being either put into the friend zone or considered just another man who only thinks about women as sexual beings? Oh. I'm... (laughs) My first instinct is that if you're asking this, you're like, probably doing okay. Yes. Which doesn't make me want to minimize. But my, my first instinct here is that thing not be, um, how do I express that I'm interested in them as a whole person, not just their sexuality. I think that the flip side is true that their whole person includes their sexuality. There's only one thing I, I think it is a solid question and a good thing to be considerate of, but I also want to push back against the use of the term friend zone, which is mm. not a real thing. And I feel really a, a way to uh, homogenize women into into being a color. Either sex object or friend. Yeah, it's not a thing. The friend zone does not exist. And I get that it's a cool shorthand for being for being somebody's friend for whom you have a, you have a sexual interest in them. But... That has become, if it wasn't originally designed by, it has been co-opted by vicious um, misogynists and uh, an anti-feminist. And it's a term that if we're working to find sexual wholeness uh, or for whatever that's worth, that it's a term we need to go away from. Yeah, and I don't think this person... Is... I know, I know, yeah. totally. This question is good, but also just that whenever I see the, the, the friend zone where I do get a little bit antsy in my pantsy... <laughs> <laughs> Reed, what are your first thoughts? Um, I mean, the the main. I mean, I'm a big proponent of whatever you're worried about. Lead with that, because you're really you're being transparent, and ultimately, transparency is a great assessment tool. Mm. You you know, like I was saying about um, depth and duration before in relationships, the as metrics for success, it's kind of like the cultural currency. Um, and dynamic in relationships these days is attraction. So we're like, we're trying to say the right things, do the right things, kind of figure out what we're supposed to be saying and doing and have the right job and, and wear the right clothes so that people will, you know, will be attracted to us. Mm-hmm. And what we end up doing is, you know, you kind of look to culture for advice on what's attractive and culture is usually wrong, um, culture with a big C. And really what I think we should be doing is rather than attraction models, it should really be a self-expression models mm. where, you know, what are the things you want to wear that make you happiest? And, you know, being honest and transparent with people about what you're worried about, um, if you scare them away, then then those are people that, you probably shouldn't be dating um, or even having as friends. And so when you come from a self-expression model and see who's, who's attracted to that person, the person that makes you happiest being, um, it's a lot more vulnerable because you could truly be rejected for who you really are. However, you're probably going to be happier and there are people that will love you for that. Um, for being who you are. And so in this instance, you know, if you don't want to denigrate a woman because you're physically attracted to her and you want to be respectful, um, one of the ways you can respect that human being is actually holding them capable of handling the context Mm. and just be honest and be like, hey, like I would, I'm physically attracted to you. I want to get to know you better as a person. And I'm just going to be really upfront and honest. And 
and tell you all of this at once. And it also includes, I, I don't want to be, you know, in this friend zone. Like I want to know you, but I'm, I'm physically attracted to you too. So how do you feel about all of that? Mm-hmm. And if you end up scaring that person away, I, I, I personally think you're better off. Or if that person, you know, tells you, Hey, you know, I, I like you as a person, but I'm not available or, you know, physically attracted to you relationship wise, at least everything's out on the table. And I think that's a better way to start any, any friendship or relationship period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a part of, part of my pushback against the idea of a friend zone is the idea of a hierarchy of relationships and saying that somehow being friends with somebody is lesser than being that, that, that relationships are ranked the whole thing uh, you're talking about like unbundling the things that any relationship is yeah. in terms of like the different kinds of intimacy like was, we can be we can have a really deep conversation or we can make out or we can sit next to each other for a while or, or have we can, no strings attached sex or run that, a marathon together totally and that the idea that like <laughs> okay um be, being physically attracted to somebody is not problematic with broadly there are of course specific circumstances under which it is but that is not something um that's not something wrong with that being a dick is the problem about it or mm-hmm. being creepy and i know that this can be this can be a weird line to navigate but i think that part of this has to do with understanding context always we did that in the role play with twana <laughs> gotta get good at understanding the context <laughs> and there was a wonderful uh some somebody i think it was at thomas violence on twitter wrote um um confused about how to talk to a woman think about how you talk to a person maybe try that right which is this thing which is like i think that there's oh boy i'm getting really heated up about this go for it keep going but um um, you can see dave he's he's shaking his arms and bouncing up and down i am i want to be okay so part of what you can do if you are attracted to somebody and are interested in in pursuing a romantic relationship with them, that is more important to you than having a friendship connection with them, right? If that is your thing, if you want to be dating this person or not have anything to do with them, which personally isn't my style, I think I, I, I don't really understand that. But let's say that, yes, that's a thing that can happen. You want nothing to do with them or you want to date them, right? You need to be clear at the outset about what you want, which is instead of saying, hey, do you want to hang out sometime? Or, hey, uh, do you want to get coffee sometime? Say, hey, would you like to go on a date sometime? Okay? Like, if what if your intention is romantic or nothing, and, a friend, and being in a friendship is somehow a bad thing, that you will have been put in a zone for friends, which apparently being <laughs> friends with somebody is bad, then you need to be really clear about that. Dave, I totally, like, I, I hugely grok what you're saying and support it. Yeah. And I think that it's a rant worth having, but I think that it's a little bit aside from what the person who wrote in is actually asking. Um, is if it I'm, okay? Yeah, if, too, if I'm missing it, then. Kind of, I don't know that you're missing I think that this is absolutely related and totally worth talking about, but it sounds to me like the person who wrote in, um, as, as Reed was saying, was just, like, bringing, like, part of the fullness of their connection is also attraction. And so why not be transparent and authentic about that? And I want to just affirm like being really like, I, I like, I am turned off by people who are uh, sometimes turned off by people who are attracted to me and like lead with only that. Sometimes I like being objectified depending on the context, but, but largely um, it is really cool to have this other skill that this person already has going on, like being really good at seeing somebody as, as a full person, not just for their sexuality. And I think that that's really, really important. And so I, I, I really hear your rant, but I think that it is that, that the thing that this person has already got going on is also really important. And that he's just asking like how to express this, this next step and step into that. And I respond to, I respond to that. And I think something practical just to build on, uh, on what's already been said, just thinking about like, well, how would I do this? Or I'm thinking like if the situation were reversed, like gender dynamics uh, to the wind, but just if I were friends with somebody but not sure how to how to express how I was attracted to them, something that I do is I, this is like, this might be silly and different language works for different people, but I say, I because I love what you, the, the kind of 
example that you gave, Reed, or how you um, the the language that you used, and I tend to do that, but also give more outs and more caveats around that. Um, and I um, I tend to say something like how much I value our connection on every level. And also, I really like the idea of making out with you sometime. And of course, that's okay if if you're not into that. And I would still be, I, I still value our connection regardless. But for me, like the, the tr totally transparent truth, and maybe maybe you guys disagree with this, but the to if the total transparent truth is I want to make out with you and tear your clothes off and fuck like bunnies and explore all kinds of pleasure and explore our bodies like an exotic island, I might, <laughs> I might not start with saying all of that. I might start with like read, use the language. Um, I'm physically attracted to you. I would probably say I like the idea of making out with you. Um, but that's uh, I guess my version is less totally transparent if I'm just saying the tip of the iceberg. I don't know. But think about that in a Patrick Stewart voice. You would totally go for it, right? Well, I want to explore you like an exotic island. <laughs> I wouldn't go for that. <laughs> I don't know. What am I missing? Dave, I didn't mean to shut you down. Um, what? Let me step back for a minute. Um, uh, I guess I wanted to really affirm the person who wrote in. I responded to like the kindness where that came from. And Dave, you were rubbed wrong by the friend zone. What What am I not hearing, or what else can we add to this? Well, Stephanie, <laughs> um, this is a this is a a, a you know I, I this seems like I think that that. Um, being uh, that again a relationship this is something i come back to a relationship is not something you have it's something you do and that relation there are many 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 kinds of relationships and there are many 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 people you will find attractive that you will never have any sort of romantic or sexual connection with and that that's true and that having a romantic and or sexual connection with somebody is not is not an achievement it is a way that the two of you are relating to each other so and something that happens when you're relating in that way and that i find okay this is this is personally like i find the idea of pursuit really weird and and kind of off-putting no matter what direction it's going or the genders of the people involved pursuit strikes me as really weird rather than like knowing each other and finding so part of that is that i'm coming at this from this place mm -hmm. is that the idea of trying to attain a different level of relationship with somebody is something that feels kind of alien to me rather than relating and seeing what happens. I totally hear you. It just doesn't sound to me to like, this is all in hypotheticals because we don't know who, who wrote this in or what this person's situation is, but it doesn't sound like this person. I hung up wrote on, this in. Of, no, it's not. Of, it's hung up on pursuit. It sounds to me like they're just like feeling shy and not quite sure how to articulate Themselves. To say it in the best possible way, I think it is really, really, really good that the single heterosexual male writing this in is aware of the fact that women have to deal with creepy perverts oh, yes. every day, all day, all the time, and that you don't want to be one of those. Great. Yes, please keep doing that. <laughs> Whoa, dude. Um, Reed, anything else to add before we move on to our next question? Um, no, but I mean, like, if you think about where the question's coming from, mm -hmm. right? Like, there are a lot of men or male-identified people um, are realizing that, you know, you know, things have shifted. Like, I'm, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, air quotes, supposed to make the first move, and yet I'm, I don't want to be creepy. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to let people know what my intentions are and yet I don't want to be too forward. Mm. And, like there's a lot of mixed messaging now. And also, for, you know, for most people who are acculturated as, as men or masculine, like, you know, the messaging is a real man knows exactly what to do and does the right thing. So, uh, you know, what that's not real, that's, you know, that's something that we learn from culture um, but somehow like men aren't supposed to make mistakes and yet we're supposed to be open and honest, but not be creepy. Like, how do we pull this off? Mm. And so the, the question really is, you know, I like you, I, I like you, like you, and how do I show you that and also 
be friendly to you, but let you know I don't want to be trapped in the friend zone. You know, whether you believe in the friend zone or not, it, you know, how do I, how do I get all this information out so that I'm transparent without being creepy or pushy or anything else? It, and, and Dave, I think the frustration that you're feeling is exactly the frustration that a lot of men are feeling these days. What is the, what, like, what is it, that frustration? Do you think? Well, it's like, it's like, you know, you don't, you have, you have an, you know, an emotional reaction around the friend zone thing, which is the, like, how do we pull this all off? And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just saying like, like what you're, what you're feeling. uh, There are a lot of men out there that are feeling confused and frustrated. And at the same time, like there's gotta be a solution to this. And how do, how do we pull this all off? And there are a lot of, you know, sensitive, well-meaning guys out there that are just like, how do we teach the rest of the men not to screw it up for us too? Like, this is where we're at. Whereas I think in the 1950s, you know, the mad men kind of thing, like men weren't really, you know, and again, like we, I'm, I didn't live in that time period, but like, it seems like they were just fulfilling on the gender roles of the time and everyone wanted to do a good job, whether it made them happy or not. Because mm-hmm. happiness wasn't a part of the equation, you know. And then there are people out there who don't like being friends with people who are sexually attracted to them, because for them, sexual attraction is relegated to relationships. Whereas for those of us who are who are more non-monogamous, you know, sexual attraction and friendship, there's a there's a seems to be an easier overlap. You know, there's a whole demographic out there, and it's not because they're unevolved. They just don't like being friends with people who have the hots for them. And that's their choice, too. I don't know that any of that answered the, the writer's question, but, you know, I, I do want to try to connect with you on the frustration that you're feeling. I think there are a lot of men and women and other out there that are frustrated right now around relationships and how to navigate all of it. Here's here's why I'm here, here the the idea that that communicating that that you respect somebody as a whole person that's the baseline that should be a given that shouldn't be something that you need to show and so part of my response to this is well fucking of course you care about someone as a whole person including their sexuality mm-hmm. that's the baseline of being a decent fucking human being <laughs> and i realize that there are a lot of non-decent human beings who are lowering who are bending the fucking curve for the rest of for the rest of humanity by being shitheads but i but 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 uh, uh, talking to somebody as if they are a whole person and that who you respect as a human being past their tits and ass it's <laughs> the fucking baseline and so i don't feel like there I, I feel like that's where we start and then we need to figure the next step out and so part of why i'm yeah. pushing back against this is, is like that doesn't that seems like that uh, start there okay it, then get better it, than that Yes. Okay. Can I Go can ahead. I respond to that yeah, really totally. quickly? Yeah. That I'm that what you just said, I agree with. Understanding that most especially women's experience in life is that men don't treat them that way. Mm-hmm. So I know. where that's coming like your outrage in some ways or your duh, it's it's obvious is kind could be construed as coming from a place of privilege absolutely absolutely goddamn lutely for real 100 percent. it's something that i've been dealing with a lot in the past few weeks since since elliot roger and the ucsb thing of seeing of having especially looking at the yes all women hashtag on twitter as a response to that of sitting in a place where i had i care about this shit and i had no idea and i know that i still have no idea and reading about the the brutal soul crushing bullshit that women have to go through every day to make it through the day that I was completely unaware of and realizing that like a good working definition of privilege was that I wanted to crawl in a hole and cry reading about it. And I could stop reading about it if I wanted to, Mm -hmm. but that is privilege. I didn't know and don't have to know to get through my day. I could not ever read about it again and never come up against it. And that is hard. That is Okay, feeling how hard that is to take 
I can only fucking imagine how difficult it is to be on the other side of that. Yeah. And it, 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 it makes me feel despair. Yeah. And there are two things that are coming up for me. And one is still coming back with like, just like, yes, Dave and digging in here. And that I think that the, I'm feeling a little bit defensive for the person who wrote in as like thinking that that question actually comes from a similar place of despair and recognizing that this is what many women experience on a day-to-day basis and wanting to be conscious of that. It sounds like this person does uh, operate as a baseline that a person is a whole person and is, is, um, and so I guess I'm responding to, to that, but also Oh my God, now that we're here, I guess we have to dig in a little bit. I mean, I feel in terms of the UCSB thing, just utterly devastated as well. And, and of the media circus that ensued around it. And, um, I think, you know, there's a lot of criticism of the yes, all women hashtag as not, um, I don't know, as, as politicizing a tragedy. And I hear that what happened in Santa Barbara is a very, specific isolated horrific thing and that also talking about rape culture is a really really huge and huge quagmire-ish thing and that they 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 do and don't go together but i i'm kind of i i don't think that all of the talk around uh gender roles in general is is misplaced and um something that i read that i in one article that i loved um sprung up around it saying like if you're not actively working against the status quo you are reinforcing it and um that to me speaks with like the the person who wrote in is looking how to not actively reinforce this trope of sure so let me admit my ignorance here what is the status quo in dude men approaching lady women right so what what actually it what would we say the status quo is of dudes approaching women in a potential dating context like what is the status quo what what actually is it so yes part of my question is and admitting my ignorance is not knowing what the status quo is i i feel like there is there's a sense there's i'm i'm absolutely in a position of privilege and in that position of privilege in an even greater position of privilege i am definitely like i feel like i'm sitting in the nest in the top of the ivory tower with the golden eggs right so part of it is i would i'm interested to know what the what is the status quo i want to fight against the status quo i feel like if we want to not not endorse the status quo but part of that is knowing what it is so what's the status quo do you have ideas, people out there? What is what what's going on? Oh, I have lots of ideas. We definitely yeah. need to continue this conversation on on future episodes, but for yeah. now, we're going to move on to the next question. I got head up. That rarely happens. <laughs> um, so, question number 2 is uh, you say you should always talk to each other about things, and I agree with that idea, but it's all caps hard to do it in practice. I often come too quickly when I am thrusting inside my wife, and I don't know how to bring it up to her. I don't think she is a, quote-unquote, talking about things kind of person. So mm. there's, a lot, there's a lot to that. Yup. <laughs> the, the questions in there that um, I'm hearing are, are you uh, maybe even like ways of lasting longer and ways to talk about that, huh? but also... A bigger meta thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so my, uh, like listening to the question and these are really great questions. So, I mean, I'm, our listeners are the sexiest. They're awesome. They are. I mean, it's like, it's, this is, this is good brain sex. This is good, you know, food to chew on. Yeah. Um, chew on my sexy food brain. (laughs) Yes. Bring it to me. I want to hump your, your, your prefrontal cortex. Um, so, so here's the first thing, right? Whenever you think your partner can't handle something, you've you very surreptitiously disempowered them. Mm. Huh. So you may you may want to reconsider, you know, that oh wow, maybe they can handle it. Okay, because probably you're making the choice that they can't handle it because you may not feel like you can handle one or one or several of their reactions. So 
let's imagine that your partner actually can handle it. Maybe they'll get upset for the first day, but then you guys have the conversation after. You, it's what you're not sharing in your relationships that's eroding the intimacy and, and, and damaging the relationship. When you start approaching your relationships like you can actually handle the truth, um, and I won't give you my bad Jack Nicholson impersonation, um, but like <laughs> that has, if Dave you guys has can, done the Jack Nicholson impression <laughs> with exactly that text or on this very podcast. <laughs> Sorry, but but the idea of like if you guys are if you guys believe that you can handle the truth, it won't always be easy, but that you'll get on the other side of it. Um, then as you start sharing the truth and, and for people who are curious, you can go to my website, go to readaboutsex.com and just type into the search bar difficult conversations. Huh. Um, or even just go to read, readaboutsex.com slash, uh, difficult convo, um, should take you right to the page. But there's, there's kind of a formula or a script that I created for, you know, the difficult conversation formula so that you guys can practice initiating those, those tough conversations, when you make it a habit to have those tough conversations, you guys start exercising those muscles and it starts to become more normalized and easier for you guys to have those scary conversations. When you get on the other side of those scary conversations a couple of times and you realize like, oh, wow, we can talk about the scary stuff and we'll, you know, it might not be comfortable, but we'll make it through then you can really start talking about the things that you, you're afraid will end the relationship. Mm -hmm. And then when you get that stuff out in the table and actually can talk about it, it's usually having those conversations that keeps the relationship together rather than avoiding all of that stuff in hopes of not rocking the boat or not straining the relationship, which is eventually that kind of walking on eggshells is what crushes the relationship anyway. Yeah. And I, so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, so there's that piece there, right? Like, how are you guys disempowering each, each other and your relationship by making a decision without consulting your partners that they can't handle something? Oh my God, yes. We are nodding in total affirmation over yes, here. Yes, but I also want to throw in just on top of that, like, how fucking sexy this kind of checking in can be. Like, especially around if you can open up talking around this sort of sexual disconnect that's being brought up, like not only because respect is sexy. And so that kind of depth of knowing each other and authenticity that you can find by, by ad addressing it in exactly the way that Reed is saying that like that can lead to a deeper connection, which is sexy and awesome. But even like on a lighter note, if your intention is to last longer during penetrative intercourse, right? Like, hey, I love, I, I, I love fucking you so much that I just want to linger here more, and I want to extend each of our pleasure. Like, that's that's, that's just so sexy. Like, a potential way to frame this problem is: sex with you feels too good. Yeah. <laughs> as problems go, and I get that. I get that this conversation might be very, very hard, but like as problems go, that's a good problem to start with. Like, fucking you feels really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to affirm what you said, Reed, and to point out how deeply sexy it can be, too. Um, yeah. Just think there's a lot going on. So, yeah, so, so, so the, to go on to the, the other parts of the question around lasting longer, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's lots of different techniques and, and, and ways of trying to figure out, like, how you can enjoy that sensation um, and have more ejaculatory control. And as a sex geek, I will say the the other the, the thing I would recommend most penis owners out there get a, you know learn how to do is learn how to pleasure your partners um, with your hands with mm -hmm. your with your mouth and your face so that you know you can pleasure each other um, in lots of different ways because there's lots of kind there's lots of different kinds of penetrative sex Cheers. you use your fingers and all these other things. Because when numbers. I'm when I'm fucking somebody and I want to last longer, but my my nervous system is really kind of you know uh, in interested in ejaculation. Mm -hmm. um, usually, what I do is I pull my penis out, <laughs> I stop fucking them, and I start using my hands and my face, 
until I calm down enough, and then I put my penis back in. Now that can be difficult for some people because if you, it, once you if you lose your erection, it might be hard to regain your erection. So those you know erectile situations, hydraulic issues aside, um, I'm comfortable enough now with with jumping back and forth that it's really kind of a hack that allows me to feel comfortable and know that I can keep pleasuring somebody. So I don't have to stop the pleasure and and the enjoyment for myself. I just I just move it to something different than my penis and then come back to my penis. Mm. And you can, and that's a really simple solution back and forth that helps you also start to train your body and your brain and, and your relationships that, that sexual pleasure doesn't, the gratification doesn't have to be about penis into holes type penetrative sex. Yeah. So that's useful too. And while you get good at that, you can also be practicing different ways to learn more ejaculatory control um, so that you can last longer mm-hmm. when you're inside somebody, but also understanding and deconstructing that that's not the point of sex mm-hmm. always. Oh my God. Read what you just said, I think is most important. And I'd love to jump in with a couple more practical things. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I'm sure you have, things to say about ejaculatory control as well. But I have um, just two two perspectives on that that maybe are a little bit woo for some people. But um, I think um, uh, whether ejaculatory control directly or just wanting to linger longer, um, one thing, turning your focus to breathing more deeply and thinking of breathing in your whole entire body um, can be really really profound and and shift things up when you're when you're just like in in the mode of going at it and the other thing is like i think a lot of people think about pleasure only existing in the genitals and i think that that is um i mean that's of course true there's you know there are so many nerve endings and pleasure centers in the genitals but um if you can think of your pleasure not just existing in your penis, but in your fingers and toes and your hair and your your back and your left knee and every cell of you. And practically that could look like even when you, what Reed suggested already is the simplest thing, but if you're taking a break and pleasuring your partner, but then also um, if your partner's touching you and maybe touching you everywhere and, and not just on the genitals, I think that that's, that's a great perspective to have. And the other thing that I think can also be really fun, which is kind of like a medium option in between what Reed was saying of, of take a break and pleasure your partner in, 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 a, in a different way and stop the penetration is um, penetration, but staying away from repetitive thrusting as long as possible can be very zesty. As we know from other episodes, there are so many kinds of thrusts. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I appreciate that throwback. <laughs> I talked about the Taoist thrusts. That's true. But, but any, any um, just, I, I feel like if this is your thing, if kind of like um, extending, uh, extending the time, if, 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 if you're also, if also on your menu is things other than penis and vagina penetrative sex, if you're already really digging also um, pleasuring each other in other ways than that, in the myriad of other awesome ways than that, but you also have a desire to extend the time that you're spending in penetrative sex, um, all of the ways that you can, you can have body parts inside of body parts, but also not be uh, repetitively thrusting, like up until the point where you just can't stand it anymore, I think can also be awesome. What happens if you're, if your penis is inside her, but then you choose to be still for a while? Go have fun. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Tell and, us how it goes. And, yeah. And let me say, uh, I mean, it, yeah, go ahead, David, which is that you, you say in this question that it is hard and yes, nobody said it was going to be easy. It is going to be hard, but two responses to that it's going to be hard and it's going to be worth it. And the other thing is it's going to be hard, and it's probably going to get easier as you build this muscle. <laughs> Cheers to building that muscle. Yeah. Build that muscle. The, 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 I mean, there, there are people that offer entire courses on this kind of stuff around learning ejaculatory control. There's, there's Montauk Chia's 
Taoist sexuality book around, you know, control. Like, <laughs> the multi-orgasmic man, the multi-orgasmic yeah. couple, yeah. Yeah, there's the, those books as well. Um, so the, the biggest thing, and I'll just leave it here, you know, for people on the podcast, um, is, you know, there's a, a thing a lot of penis owners don't quite understand is there's what I call like your ejaculatory breaking distance. And it's kind of like, remember when we were back in sec in a, in driver's ed and you had to leave three car lengths in front of you (laughs) so that you had enough, enough distance to break and, and stop before you'd hit somebody else's car. There's a big difference. Um, when you're doing repetitive thrusting, uh, for the most part. And, Let's say that that you know nine is when you go over the the waterfall in the barrel, you know. So seven, six, seven, and eight. Not that you know you're you're close to ejaculation, but you haven't gone over the edge yet. Um, the point of no return. There's a big difference when you're when you're fucking, and you're like at a six, and then a seven, and then an eight, versus five, six, seven. Mm. When you go really fast you know, arousal wise, like you've picked up a lot of speed, uh, neurologically speaking, this isn't about physics, but there's kind of like an almost ejaculatory momentum that you've built up when you go really fast through the pleasure plateau and you're, and you're, and you're going very quickly. A lot of people with penises haven't really practiced kind of cruise control, so to speak, <laughs> so that so that you can kind of be at a 7 or an 8 or just an 8.9 and just kind of hold it there. Um, so understanding that when you're thrusting and you're excited and you're it's, a, it's erotic and you're um, pay attention to how fast you're going towards the point of no return because it's really hard to put on the brakes and not skid over the edge, so mm-hmm. to speak. So just that alone, when, when I learned that piece, was really helpful for me. You don't slow down when you're at 8.9. Mm-hmm. You, have to slow, you have to start braking, you know, tapping the brakes, so to speak, um, when you're at like 7, you know, or 7.9, depending on how fast you're going. Like there's no anti-lock mm-hmm. brake system for cocks. That's basically what it comes to. Startup idea. You have to... You have to understand your own kind of your nervous system and 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 how how to slow down while you're having sex in a way that allows you to not so you have you basically so you just have more control. Mm-hmm. Just none none of this comes naturally or easily. Yeah. Yep. Well, it it it. It's 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 easier than you think, but you have to practice it. And understanding yes. that most of us have been wanking off, not paying attention to that at all. Mm-hmm. With speed for, is the number one the, primary thing here. Well, yeah, for the most part, I mean, there's there's a lot of other scenario. I mean, there, I mean, this is this is like two podcasts in a row. Like we could just talk about this for the whole. Uh-huh. Like I geek out on this stuff, um, but the the idea of starting to understand your nervous system and understand pleasure and how your body reacts to it and understanding that for most people we've been masturbating our entire lives, not paying attention to that piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how would you know what your breaking distance is, so to speak, unless you start really kind of investigating it? Mm-hmm. What's great, you know, what we know about the brain and, and neurology now is that there's a lot of neuroplasticity. You can retrain your nervous system and mm-hmm. get better at this stuff. And then the more competent you feel, the more confident you feel. And that competence and comp- and confidence in bed is sexy. Absolutely. Engaging that is something you can practice on your own too, not just mm-hmm. partner. Um, Reed, you're awesome. Oh my God, Reed. <laughs> Thanks. This coffee Thanks, knows guys. what this coffee's talking oh, about. Oh man, certainly. I, 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 we need to wrap, but I have one more thing that like addresses one other thing in the, in this question. Is it okay if I How go there? Share you. I, know. I don't like need to have the last word. I just have a. Um, yes, of course. Please go. Just this person says that my 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 wife is not necessarily a quote unquote talking about things kind of person. And there's a little bit, Reed, you addressed this a little bit early on about um, when we presume something about people we 
we do a certain kind of violence there. Um, but I also just want to give a shout out to like, um, I think that, I mean, talking about things takes, takes practice and can, can be hard, but who maybe, maybe your wife is a talking about things kind of person, but either hasn't quite felt comfortable talking about things with you, or at least in this context, or just like, doesn't know exactly where to begin. But if you do open up this dialogue in, in any of these ways, um, uh, verbal and physical, that, that this, that that could be something that, that really grows and how cool to open up that space to allow that to be possible. Yeah. Okay. On to quickies. On to quickies. So I have, uh, I, I have two very, very short ones. And one is just, we're recording this on Father's Day. And that can be a very complicated thing. And I had this complicated feeling in my mind today, which is I am extraordinarily grateful for my father and extraordinarily grateful that I am nobody's father. Yeah, snap it out. Um, the, the, the second one has completely left my mind. So we'll leave it there and I'll pass it on to Stephanie. Truly quick quickie. Yeah. That be first. Well done. Um, I want to just read a little bit from this really excellent conversation that got started on our Facebook page. So putting some more voices of, of you guys, our listeners, into this. Um, an observation from our friend Ardella. Um, she wrote, I've noticed a double standard in our community about how much leeway women have in negotiating consent compared to men, and it's given me much food for thought. It's far more acceptable for a woman to assume that a man is automatically up for sex than it would be if the genders were reversed. It's okay for a woman to feel to feel up a man's crotch without asking, but the reversal would be unacceptable. The stereotype is that men are always up for sex with an attractive woman, woman and that men are always horny and that any attention is good attention and a boost to the male ego. This disappoints me. A reversal of stereotypical behavior isn't a healthy subversion of it. It's just applying a set of assumptions onto another group of people. I'd like to see people treating all genders with the complexity they deserve and not making assumptions about anyone's sexuality or level of desire. Consent is key regardless of gender or orientation. Holler. I feel like that can't be, can't be said enough. And um, Can you read that line about subverting, about doing the opposite of a... A reversal of stereotypical behavior isn't a healthy subversion of it. Just applying a set of assumptions onto another group of people. That's badass. That is badass. Thank you, Ardella Saffron, for these wise words. Thank and you. we're definitely going to talk about about this and about how patriarchy hurts men too. Mm-hmm. Um, and just there can't be enough talk about the, the awesomeness and sexiness of enthusiastic consent. Um, what is this gallon of worms doing under the table? Yes. <laughs> we'll get to it <laughs> later. <laughs> More soon. Please send us your, your, your thoughts on, on all that as well. That is my quickie. Um, so I, I don't know that I, I mean, my quickies, I just want to have a quick acknowledgement of you guys. Um, and also your community with the, with the, the level of, of questions and thinking and, and honesty that's happening. And also with the kind of dynamic that you guys are putting in just kind of not necessarily having all the answers, but, but having the tools with which to, you know, ask better questions and then also to go and, and find, find support and, and answers as a community. I just really want to applaud you too. And I'm just, again, I'm like, I'm just flattered that you guys invited me to be on your, your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be in conversation with you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks. That really means a lot. That's it for episode 17. Thank you again so much to Reed Mahalko and to all of you for downloading and for being in this conversation with us. And before we talk crowdsource questions and who's going to join us on our next episodes, I want to share this amazing story that a listener wrote in. He says, Dear Sexy Smart People, You may remember me as the author of one of the first crowdsource questions. I asked how a straight guy could approach a female stranger without being creep. The answers were all terrific, as was your extremely helpful role play, but one in particular stuck with me. 
If you want to talk to a stranger in a non-creepy way, the advice went, cultivate the habit of talking to strangers you aren't trying to hit on. Then you'll be a genuinely outgoing person, not just someone who's momentarily pretending to be outgoing because he's trying to score. And that'll be a good thing for everyone. With that in mind, I'd like to share a story. Earlier this week, I was taking the subway and spotted a tomboyish woman wearing a soccer uniform who appeared to be suffering from a terminal case of hotness. Although jocks aren't usually my type, something about her resonated and I decided I'd like to talk to her. Then I remembered your sage advice and thought to myself, you know, I'm not going to talk to her now, but I'm going to take this energy and use it to talk to someone else. There was a guy sitting across from both of us who had just clearly come back from some foreign country, or 15 of them, based on his luggage tags. I asked him where he was traveling from. Tripoli, it turned out. Oh yeah? How was that? Within three stops, Tripoli guy, soccer lady, the couple near the door, another dude standing nearby, and I were having a long conversation about travel. Two stops after that, soccer lady scooted over next to me and asked me about the book I was reading. A total sex for smart people move, now I realize. At the next stop, she asked me if I'd like to join her for a drink, which I did. Crowdsource question for the motherfucking win. <laughs> Yours, a happy listener. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And um, our latest crowdsource question, yeah, is one that you've heard a couple of times. We're finally going to address it on the next episode. And so if you have responses to this, please send them to us by July 11th. And that, that question is, hey, SFSP, you say often that communication is the most important thing and that you should talk to each other about things. But what happens when you've tried your hardest to talk about things and still there are major problems? Where do you think is the line between nobody's perfect and all relationships take work and a partnership that just isn't healthy or working out and should be moved on from? A really, really excellent question. We've gotten some great responses so far, and we'd love uh, even more if you have thoughts. And um, also, I just want to point out that really every question is a crowdsource question. Just official crowdsource questions are the ones that we wait for enough responses to roll in before addressing. Um, and I am so excited to let you know about our next two episodes because we're not sure which order they're going to happen in, but we know who our next two guests are, and um, we're so glad that they can join us. One is Avital Isaacs, who you might remember from the Quickies episode, number 10. She is a woman of many, many talents, a burlesque performer and a sex educator at Babeland NYC. And also then an, another guest uh, on one of our next two episodes will be Dr. Roxy Manning, who is this amazingly wise nonviolent communication expert and coach. She works with individuals, couples, families, and organizations. And as we always say on here, you should talk to each other about things. We think it's really, really vital to also learn about for ourselves and also be able to share more practical tools for for how to talk to about talk to each other about things even and especially when it's hard so look for those two guests on our upcoming episodes and if you dig what we do we ask that you might consider becoming our patron you can go to patreon.com slash sex for smart people and be our patron at a level of a dollar or two per episode and that helps us out so much to stay afloat and um, thank you so much to everybody who who is already contributing in that way and most of all from the bottom of our hearts just thank you so much for continuing to be in this conversation with us and please send us your thoughts questions objections ideas at any time we absolutely love hearing from you and we look forward to seeing you next time so current research on the clitoris is the sexiest mm. sunshine finally sunshine is the sexiest soccer players in the rain are the sexiest 